0: Father's Day, Genesis 31 this morning. So not because I didn't want Aaron to share the, the news, but I'm an accountant at heart and I crunch the numbers, okay? <laughs> um, but really this is not just about numbers, this is just about just an outpouring of God's blessing on our church and the opportunities that he gave us. Um, We had the first night 119 kids, and whenever we had 119 kids on the first night, I'm like, oh, something big's about to happen. And the average that we had for the week was 130 kids a night. We have never even come close to that before. 130 kids a night. And to make that happen, it took 70 volunteers here each night, 70. Um, that's incredible to me. Um, we challenged the kids and shared with them um, where the offering was gonna go. We had decided that the VBS offering would go to, um, be sent directly to JM and Relief Efforts in, in India there to help them. Um, the situation, by the way, is no better there. Um, Rick Presley just showed me a video. If you're interested in seeing this, I'm sure he wouldn't mind wait, waiting around after the service to show you a video on his phone um, of the believers earlier this morning in India on the top of a mountain praising God. It'll just bring tears to your eyes. These people away from their homes, away from where they normally where it would live, um, orphanage kids, adults, um, just standing on a mountaintop praising God. And the woman who's leading singing is literally reading the words from a book and then they sing it. So if, if you're upset about words on the wall, you would have hated that. Just saying, just saying. We've had two really big weeks of ministry, and it would be really wrong of us to not pray for fruit from those two weeks of ministry. Um, The work's not done. God's Spirit is at work, is He not? And so I would encourage you to keep praying for the teenagers that heard the gospel, for the kids from our community that heard the gospel, um, and just pray that God would bring fruit from that. the gospel was clearly given this week, I know, this past week to, to kids in VBS. They, they heard it in a lesson time, they sang the gospel, they, were, they were, had it reinforced in their verse time, and so there, there are at least 160 kids. There was 160 different kids here this week. There's at least 160 kids that heard the gospel clearly for the first time, and that's really exciting, isn't it? So we want to pray for fruit. And while you're praying, I want to encourage you to pray for one more thing. I want you to pray for Pastor Andy and their family. How many of you love Pastor Andy and their family? Yeah. That goes without saying. They get two weeks of vacation, and that is an awesome thing. So when they leave the building today, when they leave the building today, they are officially on vacation. What does that mean, church? Spam their email, right? <laughs> Text him endlessly, Right? incessantly decorate their yard, decorate their yard. yeah Now, what that means is pray for them to have two weeks of rest and recharging and and connection as a family and I know you guys will do that and they need it and and so you just pray for them so this morning I want to turn our attention to Genesis chapter 31 And while while you're getting yourself there and and thinking about it, I want to talk to you about something real quick here. I know I'm talking to a room that's predominantly full of followers of Jesus, and I want to talk to followers of Jesus this morning about something that I think we all wrestle with, and I think this text helps us with it this morning. As followers of Jesus, one of our main concerns is, uh, should be, and I think for most of us who are, is how do we clearly and, 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 and with love obey Him to show our love to Him? Sometimes that's really easy to do, right? Obeying God is sometimes really easy to do. Like, for instance, we know and we, we often wrestle with the guilt, if you're, a, if you're a recovering legalist like me, we know that we're supposed to read our Bibles and pray every day, right? And, but yet, if we don't do that, we wrestle with that guilt, but we know we're supposed to do it. We know that in those Bibles that we're supposed to read, that we're told that we're supposed to be controlled by the Spirit, Right? we're supposed to be controlled by the spirit there's no question about that and we know even simple basic things that the bible tells us like like is it good to lie or bad to lie church in fact we're told not to lie right we're told in the word of god things that everything we were to do were to do wholeheartedly as to the lord now any of those things that i've said or any of those things in question church yet sometimes i think you and i struggle with the things that aren't clearly spelled out. Anybody else wrestle with that? Wrestle with things like, when should I change my job? Because on one hand, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to be content in everything, even with the miserable boss that I've worked for for the last 10 years, right? Does the Bible not say to be content in those things and be thankful? Yet, I feel this pull to change my job. Or maybe you're wrestling with, is it time to pick up roots and move? Or maybe I need to buy a new house. Should I get married or not? When, when should I get married? And, and you know you've been told over and over again, and be honest with me, how many of you get tired of, of hearing this? Well, well, God's got an answer for you. And yet when it seems like God isn't speaking, we're like, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this, God? You tell me, and, and guys like Pastor Dan, they just incessantly stand in the pulpit and say, well, just pray about it, just pray about it, just pray about it. You know, I used to give this good counsel, and I think it is good counsel, be faithful in what you know to do and rely on God to direct you in the big decisions, right? Be faithful in what you know to do. Like, if you know that it's God's will that you read your Bible and pray, then do that, right? If you know that it's God's will that that you work hard to provide for your family, do that. But there are times when that advice just seems kind of nebulous, doesn't it? Sometimes God makes it very clear. Like, for instance, in my life, there was a time when God made it very clear I was not supposed to be an accountant anymore. I literally got let go of the job. Okay? That, can God be any clearer? Like, I walked into the president of the company's office and he says, you're terminated. Okay, I think I got that one, God. But there's other times when knowing God's will is like a long, long, hard walk in a dark valley anybody been there it's really hard sometimes to know god's will and and, and sometimes we put this extra pressure on ourselves and, and well-meaning people will say well you just got to do what god's will is in this almost like if i make one wrong step god is going to get me with the electro zapper from heaven and then i have to stop and pause myself is God really that kind of God? Do we have God, God doing that? Do we see God in the scriptures giving his followers the electro zapper whenever they misstep? No. In our text this morning, we're going to see how God worked in one man's life, and I think it's going to be really helpful to us to see how he worked in the life of Jacob to accomplish his will. So we're going to read all of chapter 31 this morning. I know it's long, okay? I know. But we do believe that God's word is the most important thing, right? So we're going to cover 31 this morning, so we're going to read the whole chapter. So grab a Bible, follow along. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before, Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore stripes. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am, And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flocks that are striped, spotted and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed, anointed in a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion of inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money." All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired and paid Aram, to go to the land of Canaan and to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee, He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Little paraphrase, you are a liar. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid and for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force, anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went to Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of two female servants, but did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all around the tent, but did not find them. And she came to her father... She said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods what you have what have you found of your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day. The heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have Been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and the labor in my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jab- Jacob called it Gilead. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galeed and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you shall not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, and the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Wow, there's a lot here, isn't there? There's a lot going on here. I want to begin where Moses begins in verse 1 of chapter 31 with with how Jacob discerned the will of God. And, And I think this is important to us. And in Jacob's case, three things absolutely work together. Now, I want to be clear with you. Even though I'm going to name the three things, the three things aren't always the case for us. You can't count on all three things, but it's really cool when God brings all things together. Okay? There's three things here that God does that makes this come solid in Jacob's heart. In essence, all three of these things are biblical. When you think about it, but one of them is far more important than the other two, and it's the last one we're gonna talk about. But the first thing I want you to see is from two weeks ago when we were in chapter 30, verse 25, I want you to first see that Jacob's heart, that his desire was to go home. Look back at chapter 30 and look at verse 25. If you remember, we had just gone through all the birth wars, right? Okay, you got four different women involved, you got 12 kids that are born, one daughter, 11 sons, and, and it's like this birth competition, right? Verse 25, Moses, as he records this, says this, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go home to my home and country. Fourteen years into his time there in paid in Aram, and, and now he has this strong desire to go home. We can, we can kind of guess what's going on here. My best guess is this. His favorite wife finally has a child. He has a son who, who we know when we read ahead in Genesis that Joseph is the favorite, right? He has this son. This is, the one, this is the one he's been waiting for, is a son through Rachel. And he wants nothing more than to take that son and show him to mommy and daddy. That's what he wants to do. And so his desire is to go home. And the birth of Joseph is the catalyst for this. But before you get too wrapped up in the desires of your heart, I want to remind you of a couple things. Remember that Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceitful and what? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can comprehend it? Our hearts can't always be trusted. One of the worst pieces of advice that you can give to somebody or that you can receive from somebody are these words, just follow your heart. That's a dangerous place to be, just following your heart. Yet, yet, Scripture gives us a safeguard. Scripture gives us a safeguard with our hearts. You say, what is that safeguard? Well, Psalm 37.4. Keep your finger here and turn over to Psalm 37.4. Because God knows that our hearts will manufacture all kinds of wicked desires and all kinds of wrong desires, or not even bad desires, but desires that aren't aren't for us. Have you ever wanted something and God, and it was a good thing and God just said, no, I'm not gonna give that to you? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? God gives us a built-in safeguard. The thirty-seventh psalm, the fourth verse: "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." Church, is that is that in the Word of God? Would it be easy to misapply this verse? Yeah, it happens all the time in congregations all over our country and all over the world where where people stand, where men and women stand in front of congregations, usually very large ones, usually people who are very desperate to to have their ears scratched and they say things like this. If you just have enough faith to believe that God will give you whatever you want, God will start filling your bucket. That's not the emphasis of Psalm 37.4. The emphasis of Psalm 37.4 is first to do what? Delight yourself in the Lord. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. You see, the safeguard that God gives us is this, find your joy, find your delight in pleasing God, in serving Him. Find your satisfaction in Christ, be first drawn to Him, and then you will see that your heart's desires are met. But too often we get the cart and the horse flipped, don't we? We have all these things that we want, And then we'll put off pleasing God till later. God, if you give me these things, then I'll give you some some good effort on my part in seeking you and pleasing you. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Some of you are, are wrestling with major decisions in your life, and, and you're, you're wondering, should I, should I take this job, should I get married, should I, should, should, or, or should I throw my marriage away, or should I be involved in this ministry or that ministry, what should I be doing? Understand this, the word speaks clearly, be delighted in the Lord. In fact, I would caution you, if you're not delighted in the Lord, you're in no place to make any kind of major life decision if you're a believer. If, if you're not delighting in the Lord, if you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, don't make a job change decision. Don't make a major decision about getting married or not married. Don't make a major decision about whether or not I should be doing this or doing that. First, delight yourself in the Lord. And what happens is, when you and I are delighted in the Lord, He has a way of just training our desires to do what He wants us to do. That's what he does. He has a way of of shaping our desires so that our desires will please him and, and he has a way of even shaping our hearts so that when we're pleasing him, we absolutely are enjoying the things that he's giving to us. So first and foremost, Jacob had a desire to get home. Simple math. Jacob had worked for 14 years for his wives Yet, we read in the text in chapter 31, it wasn't until year 20 that he went home. How many years did he have to wait, church? Church, how many years? Come on. Some of you are, are, you don't need to take your socks off to do this at math. 20 minus 14 is what? Very good. Very good. Six years he had to wait. When was the last time you had to wait on the Lord for six years? Some of you have been waiting even longer. Six years seems like an awful long time, but in those six years, God does some amazing work in Jacob's heart. You see, waiting on the Lord is not wasted time, is it? It's not wasted time. So, now we come to chapter 31. So, the first thing that God does is He puts a desire in Jacob's heart. The second thing that God does, though, is that God works through the circumstances. Do you see it there in verses 1 and 2? Notice what Jacob is doing. Jacob is listening, and Jacob is observing. And when Jacob is listening in verse 1, he's hearing, he's hearing this. Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. The sons of Laban are starting to get hot, because it's not about daddy in this case, it's about them, right? Jacob is getting rich on what should be ours, Okay? You tell me, is there a potential conflict here now in the family of Laban? And, and who's more important? Who's more important in, in, this, in, this, in this culture, in this heritage? Is it the daughters who are more important or the sons? It's the sons. And we've already seen that Laban. Laban was a joke of a dad in that instead of giving his daughters a dowry, he he didn't pay anything out for his daughters, which was the custom of this time. He actually made Jacob work for 14 years to get his daughters. But not only does he hear this, verse 2, Jacob's discerning and he sees that he's being treated differently by Laban. You see it there? He saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And so, what, what's, open, what's going on here is that Laban is really upset because Laban is the master manipulator, is he not? He's the plotter schemer. He's the guy who's always working an angle. And he's really mad because his plots have not worked. Verses 6 through 8. as as Jacob is now explaining this to his wives, he says this, you know that I served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. And, And he basically has said this, then he sums it all up, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Not only is Jacob observant of what's going on around him, he's observant about what God's been doing. In those six years of waiting, Jacob has gotten his heart more in tune with what, what his father, his heavenly father is doing, and, and God is working all things together for good. But let's be honest, circumstances can be misinterpreted, right? Even, even if our hearts aren't right, we can misinterpret our circumstances, and our minds can manipulate circumstances to get what we want every time, right? That's just the way our hearts work. And I'm so glad that in this text, clearly, we see a third thing at work here. There's something greater than our desires and our circumstances that God does, and it's this, God speaks. Look at verse 3. So Jacob's got this desire, he's observing everything that's going on around him, and now God clearly comes and talks to him. Don't you wish, and wouldn't you be scared if you saw right now this morning your cell phone ring, and right on it, it said, Yahweh. Would that not just creep you out? Probably some telemarketing scheme, actually, right? Right? Well, there's no cell phones, but God comes directly to Jacob in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. God directly speaks. It doesn't get much clearer than that, does it? But you might be saying, Where in God's word? Because how does, God's, how does God speak to us today, church? He's speaking through His Word. He's not speaking audibly. I know some of you think you're hearing the voice of God. I would question that. God doesn't need to speak audibly. He speaks through His Word, clearly. It's everything we need for life and godliness. That's how He speaks today. He speaks through His Word. And if you're not in His Word, you're not going to hear Him speak. You have no right to go to God and complain in prayer. God, why don't you speak to me if you're not picking up your Bible and reading it? Because he's speaking to you, you're just choosing not to listen. But nowhere in the Bible will it say, take job A over job B. I realize that. Nowhere will it say, this is the year you should get married. Nowhere will it say, it's time for you to pick up and move to another part of the country. Or this is where you should go to college. Or this is the ministry you should be pursuing. What's really important to me though is Jacob's response when God speaks. There is a really, really important verse here in the middle of all this narrative in verse 11 I want you to look at. So he's describing to his wives, he's trying to get his wives on board, right, and with the move, And, and he says, then the angel of God said to me in a dream, okay, Jacob's dreaming one night, God comes in the person of Christ and speaks to him in a dream, it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ speaking to Jacob in his dream, and what is Jacob's response when he's in front of the voice of God? Here I am. Here I am. Because it's not just enough to be in God's Word. Church, look up here. One, do I want you to be in God's Word? But is that enough? When you're in God's word, you've got to have the right heart attitude. Okay, God, I am open to how you're going to speak to me. I am ready to to hear what you have to say, and I'm ready to obey what you have to say. Do you see that here in Jacob's comments? Here I am. I'm available. I'm ready. Okay, what do you got next for us, God? I'm ready. That's so, so, so important. But we've got desires, and we've got circumstances, and if, if we're not careful, we will even bend Scripture <laughs> if we're not careful to line up with those two, won't we? You ever been tempted to do that? Yeah. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and I'm just going to tell you this just directly. God will never direct you or lead you to do something that will put you in, in direct opposition to a command He's given you in the Word of God. He won't do it. He won't do it. He he won't say, you know what? I want you to take this job even though it means that for the rest of your life you will never be able to go to a church on a Sunday again. Does that not violate Scripture? When he says to not, not, you know, forsake the assembling of yourselves together? No, I'm not saying that if you miss because you have to work that you're a pagan what I'm saying is, though, that God expects for us to, to systematically and, and regularly meet together with other believers, does He not? He never intends for you to take a job where you have to sign a contract that says, I will never read my Bible again, or I'll never, I'll never you know, talk about Christ again. God, in His Word, gives us plenty of principles to live by, and it's through those principles that He directs us. You know, Jacob is clear now on God's will, is he not? He's got a desire. Circumstances are changing, and God is speaking. In your life don't ignore the desires don't don't be ruled by the desires but don't ignore your desires maybe God is getting your attention through your desires circumstances change don't ignore those circumstances don't be ruled by them but use those circumstances and those desires to drive you deeper into the word to seek the mind of God but it's not just enough to know what God's will is you got you got to obey it don't you you got to obey it. And so real quickly, Jacob gets his wives on board here. It, it, okay? It, 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 if your husband is going to move you clear across country, you, you as a wife want to know. How many wives want to know that? Right? You want to be prepared, don't you? You, you want to know. And, and, and a little Father's Day nugget in this text for us. And I want you to catch this, dads. As Jacob is talking, verse 5, he talks about the God of my father had been with me, and then he contrasts that in verse 6 with, and it's almost like he says, you know that I have served your father. You know, we have two different fathers here represented. We have a controlling, manipulative, self-serving dad, don't we? Isn't that what we have in Laban? We have a controlling, manipulating, self-serving dad, contrasted with Isaac, who is not a perfect man. we already been through the life of Isaac. Is he perfect, church? But one thing he did instill in Jacob, look at verse 5, is this. He instilled a love for the tr- one true God, did he not? The God of my father, Yahweh. Dad's in the room, look up here. inheritances are overrated. That's why I'm not leaving one to my kids. You've heard me say it numerous times. They're overrated. Giving them good experience is a good thing to do. Letting them be free to, to explore what God's made them to be is good. But the most, the most, the most important thing you could do, and I guarantee you if I could go back and redo it again with my children, I would spend more time pointing them to the one true God. You will not regret a moment, dads, pointing your children to the one true God. You may regret how much time you spent pursuing the the cares and and the concerns of this world. You may regret that one day, but you will never regret pointing your children to Jesus Christ. Don't let the world order your priorities. Don't let the world order your priorities. Let Almighty God order your priorities when it comes to the raising of your children. What's interesting is, as he explains this to his wives, the wives' eyes are open to their father's character. They, they acknowledge this, that, that, that their father had sold them rather than given them away with a dowry. They acknowledge, they acknowledge that he wasn't a man of integrity. Verse 15. They say this, are we to be regarded to him as foreigners? He's sold us, and he's indeed devoured our money. There's going to be no Lab, Daddy Laban is not leaving us with any inheritance. We know this. In what's interesting, husbands learn a lesson from verse 16. Jacob's pursuit of God's will and the way that he leads his wives in this, now don't go with the wives part, wife, okay? But the way that Jacob leads his family, it makes it easier for them to follow him. Do you see it? All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children, now them, whatever God has said to you, Jacob, do. wife, be that kind of wife. Whatever God leads you to do, husband, I want to do that. I want to do that. You see, because Jacob's arguments aren't self-focused here, but rather they're focused on God and on his character and on his action and on his plan. God's told me it's time to go. You ready to saddle up? And by the time he's done talking to them, they're like, yeah, pack up the tents, let's go. I am convinced, men, I am convinced, men, that there is a whole group of wives who are desperately wanting to follow a man who's committed to following Christ. Not a man who will lord over them, not a man who will beat them into submission, but a man who will be committed to follow Christ. Wives, you want to follow that kind of man, don't you? And what I'm also convinced of is this. Most of us as men wimp out on it. We just wimp out on it. What do you want to do? And the wife is secretly begging in her heart, just do what God wants us to do. Well, I want to make you happy. You want to make her happy, do what God asks you to do. He gets his wives on board, and then verses 17 through 21, it's, it's move-out day. It kind of reminds me of when the Browns left Cleveland, and went to Baltimore. <laughs> Under the cover of night, moving vans show up. <laughs> All of a sudden, Cleveland Stadium is empty, and it's like, What happened? You knew on Father's Day I had to get a Browns reference in because they're the best. Anyway, he packs up the whole family, gets them all lined up, and all of a sudden, man, they're gone. They're gone. And what a contrast between his arrival. He arrives with just himself, and according to verse 17, he leaves with sons and wives. Verse 18, he leaves with property, which is livestock and servants. And in verse 19, Rachel adds a little bit more to the trip too. The household gods. What's the story with the household gods, P.D.? Well, real quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Most likely it had to do with claims on inheritance. Rachel's like, you're not going to leave me inheritance? I'm taking the household idols. My brothers aren't going to get... When, when I show up when Daddy Laban dies with the household idols, guess what? I'm getting my claim of inheritance. In verse 20, what a, what a juxtaposition here. And Jacob tricked Laban. Literally, it means he stole the heart of Laban. Like, I didn't know Laban had a heart. He was pretty, he's pretty much been heartless all along. But what little heart he had left, Jacob stole it when he left. But here's something that, that I want to point out to you. And I want you to catch this. Time's running out. And I got, like, four more pages of notes to go. <laughs> Stupid Teen Week video. <sighs> Stupid teens. Just kidding. Just because you're committed to following God's plan, just because you know God's plan, and this happens, doesn't it? You're crystal clear on what God's plan is. You're committed to going. You even got your whole family buy- buying in on it. Does not guarantee you're not going to meet opposition. Doesn't guarantee it at all. In fact, usually, and i found it to be true in my life, when I follow God's plan, I encounter Opposition. Anybody else with me on that? Just because you're on board and you're doing the right thing doesn't mean that God is winking and nodding from heaven and be like, oh yeah, your life is going to be perfect the rest of the way. Doesn't work that way. Just because we're obedient doesn't mean we're going to have smooth sailing. What happens? Laban finds out that they left and he isn't like this. He isn't like, oh good, I got that headache out of here. Good riddance. No. He's mad. He's mad. And he's going to go after him. And and, and there's there's a little interesting little snippet here, okay? They get a 3-day head start, right? We know that on verse from verse 22 takes three days, because remember, they weren't camping close to each other. Remember, Laban had tried to camp far away to keep all his animals away from Jacob, and that didn't work out for him, right? They're three days away, so they've got a three day ahead of him, but, but trying to, okay, have you ever gone on a trip with kids and a wife? Men, men, do you feel my pain on Father's Day, men? We pack a we pack a backpack for a week, right? And our wives pack. I know they have to pack for the kids, they have to pack they have to pack for every contingency, every season of weather, even though you're going to the beach, everything, right? Takes three days to unpack, that's right. He's got four women he's gotta transport. Plus all the animals. And all the servants, and you can't drive camels too fast. They literally will overheat. Right? But I'm telling you, he is moving them fast because with the three-day head start, it took them four days to catch up. Seven days, verse 23, it took to follow, to catch up. You think Laban was moving slow or moving fast, church? Yeah, he, he's, he has followed close to him, and he pursued him, says. And then Jacob finds out that he's been overtaken. And in verse 26, Laban does what Laban's going to do. He tries to flatter his son-in-law. You didn't even give us a chance to have a send-away, go-away party for you. Like, yeah, Right. What he was really saying is, you didn't give me another chance to manipulate you into staying. Rachel deceives her father. Don't have time to talk about it, but really she owes utter contempt for the Mesopotamian gods. She's considered unclean if she is menstruating and she's literally sitting on top of their gods. How disrespectful can you be? And what you see in verses 36 to 42 is 20 years of frustration that come out from Jacob. 20 years of frustration. And what you also hear is a changed Jacob, because where is Jacob putting his confidence? It's not in his ability to earn. It wasn't in his ability to get a wife. Notice what he says. If it hadn't been for God... Verse 29, but God, the God of your father spoke to me last night, Laban says to him. And now as Jacob's leaving, he says, I was afraid. But, but then he says, you know, it's up to God. This is God who did this. Verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. Who's getting the credit here in Jacob's story? Jacob for being a master farmer or God for being the master protector? Jacob's a different man than when he came to Pate Aram. And so you have this peace treaty. How many of you, when you were younger, these were really popular, got the Mizpah necklace? Remember the little Mizpah necklace? It was in two parts. The Lord go between you and me. And it was usually couples, and it was all syrupy and sappy, and it was like, Bleh. <laughs> Little Mizpah cards between the two of you. Oh, the Lord watch between you and me. It comes from a bad interpretation of the King James Bible, actually. This literally is not a friendly treaty. This is a treaty of like, I don't trust you, and you don't trust me. Misbah isn't two lovers who are separated for the summer because they're, they're not at college together anymore. Oh, the Lord watched between you and me. No, this is a, this is a total, total mistrust treaty. God's watching you because I don't trust you. And that's really what's being said here. And I want to point this out to you. In verse 53, Laban swears on a multiplicity of gods. He doesn't want to miss out on this. He gets the God of Abraham. Okay, he gets Yahweh in there. The God of Nahor. Nahor was Abraham's father, right? And, and Nahor, what? Not, not He wasn't his father, he was his brother, excuse me. Nahor worshipped the moon, So we got Yahweh, the God of the moon, and the God of their father, by the way, in case I'm missing out on any gods, he swears by them all. And who does Jacob swear on? It's kind of weird what Jacob swears on in verse 53. Jacob swears by the fear of his father, Isaac. Literally, that could be interpreted this, the God who caused Isaac to fear. Fathers, again, can I just say this to you towards the end of this message? The best thing you can leave your children is a healthy fear of the one true God. Is a healthy fear of the one true God. But our time is totally gone. Let me wrap this up. Jacob had to wait 20 years to get here. 20 years to get to this point. We live in a microwave society, don't we? Get what you want now. Buy here, pay here. Pay it over credit. Don't have to, you know, you can drive it out the lot today. It's interesting when you go to a car lot and they're trying to sell you a new car, they're not trying to sell you a car that fits your budget. They're trying to figure out how they can stretch your budget to the fullest, right? When you go to buy a house, which is a scary thing today, right? They're not figuring your, on your income now. They're trying to figure it on your income in like two years. But in two years, you'll be earning this. Jacob had to wait 20 years to, to, to finally get home. He had to wait on the Lord for, for 14 years for his wives and then six more after he had this strong desire to go home. Yet, God works in the waiting. If you're waiting right now, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you've got the attitude of Jacob here I am, God, I'm ready. Whenever, whenever you're ready to go, I'm ready. I'm seeking, I'm seeking your will in the Word. I, I'm opening myself up to how you're going to direct me. But remember this, you can't just trust your circumstances and you can't just trust your desires. Now, if your heart's delighting in the Lord, it's, it's a pretty safe bet that He's changing your desires. But if you're not having your heart changed and your desires changed because you're seeking God's will, then don't trust your desires. And don't bend the circumstances to match your desires. Trust in the God who loves us enough. Trust in the Heavenly Father who loves us enough to shepherd us through this life. Isn't that an amazing thing? The one who tells us in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you rest in that? Or do you rest in your own ability to supply everything you need? That's a miserable existence. Father, We thank you for our time in Genesis chapter 32. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Jacob. I pray that we would, yes, pay attention to the desires of our heart, but that we wouldn't be ruled by them, that we would be observant of the circumstances around us, especially at how you are at work in those circumstances, God. But most importantly, I pray that that all of us in this room, and especially fathers on Father's Day, God, that we would have the attitude of, here I am, Lord, here I am, speak to me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.